or let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your church. We thank you that you are building us like living stones into a place where your Holy Spirit dwells. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time today looking at your word and that you would use this time to strengthen us in our understanding of what it means to be your body. We thank you, Lord, for this food and for those who have labored to prepare it and pray that you would use it to nourish and strengthen us that we might serve you with our whole heart. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are talking about the idea of the church as the body of Christ. And we could talk for hours and hours and hours about this because the New Testament is full of imagery about this idea of the church as the body of Christ. And the hymn that we just sang, which some of you may not have seen before, um, is an old hymn that is very popular in the Catholic Church, but it expresses a lot of truth from Scripture in this idea of being one body. And the idea is that when we come together at the table of the Lord, we are expressing that unity as we eat the same bread and we drink from the same cup, and that all of our divisions, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, male or female, all of those things fade away into insignificance because of the precious unity that we have through being bought by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you don't know that hymn, I commend it to you. Uh, it's a good one to listen to on your own and think about. So we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today, and I realize the type is a little bit small, so I'm going to read it out loud, but you might notice from all of those uh, highlighted words there that this body of Christ idea is at least a little bit important to St. Paul in this passage because he is using that phrase over and over again. And we're just going to hit some highlights of what scripture teaches um, there are entire books written about what Scripture teaches about the church as the body of Christ. But as you listen to these words and read these words, I want you to think of the image of a physical body. That's exactly the metaphor that Paul is using here, a body that has a head and feet and hands, lungs, a heart, all of those things that are all wondrously interconnected by God and enabled to do incredible things. One of the remarkable things about the human body is that the more you learn about it, the more you should have cause for awe and wonder. Even Darwin is sometimes quoted as saying that the whole idea of the human eye and vision really gave him pause about the idea of evolution because it was so wondrous. So turning to what St. Paul says here, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part which lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're not done with this passage yet, but we're going to pause for just a minute here to note a couple of things. You will see that Paul is sticking very closely with this metaphor, and he wants you to imagine what would happen if your body was all hands. You wouldn't do very well. If your body was all feet, you wouldn't do very well. If you had four ears but no eyes, you wouldn't do very well. And the point that he's making is that God made the body in such a way that it functions wondrously, but we need every single part, even parts that seem insignificant, like your little toe. You know what happens if you stub that little toe in the middle of the night when you get up. It hurts like all get out and incapacitates you for a little while. And this message is important for us because we live in a culture that glorifies the self. I am the center of the universe. I am the captain of my soul. I need no one. I need nothing. I am self-sufficient. And that could not be more opposite what Paul is trying to teach us here. And the idea is that as the body of Christ, we are wondrously put together in the same way that the human body is put together, so that working together, we reflect the glory of God. And the most important part, and we're going to hit this more in another section, is the idea that the head of the body is Jesus Christ. You know uh, from probably high school biology that if uh, your brain dies, the rest of your body, no matter how great shape it's in, can't function. Or if your head is severed from your body, it's the end. And so the idea is that the head, the brain, the consciousness directs everything in our physical bodies in the same way that Jesus should direct everything that happens in our spiritual life. So there are a couple of takeaways from this. One is that each part of the body is unbelievably important in and of itself, and that secondly, each part of the body needs the other parts. Just as it would be crazy to imagine your body being all hands, it's equally crazy just to imagine a foot over there without any body connected to it. It's useless, it can't do 
anything. So this metaphor of the body is really important. And Paul then continues on, and he switches gears a little bit, but not really. He's just moving out of the metaphor for a minute. And he says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now these passages are intimately connected with one another, but usually when we start with 1 Corinthians 13, we think about weddings. We forget about everything that comes before. But this whole exposition in 1 Corinthians 13 about love is a response to this metaphor about the body of Christ. It's about the idea that we deeply need each other. And the problem is that sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we don't like the other parts of the body in the same way that as we get older, we might want to have a facelift or a tummy tuck. There are parts of our body that we don't like so much anymore, and we'd like to uh, trade them in for a different model. And uh, that happens in the body of Christ sometimes in two ways. We think, I don't really like that person, I don't want to be connected with that person, or we may say, I don't like my role, I don't like what I'm good at, I wish I were really good at this thing instead, and we rebel against the design that God has given us and the gifting that he has given us. But what Paul is telling us here is that the body, just as the human body is composed of many parts, the spiritual body, the body of Christ, has people with very different gifts. We have some people who are very able in the area of teaching and preaching. We have some people that are very able in the area of pastoring. We have some people that are very gifted in the whole area of service or music. And there's a difference between a talent and a gift. A gift is something that, there might be a talent underneath it, but a gift is something that is anointed by the Holy Spirit, where you can tell that there's joy when that person is using the gift that he or she has. And all of these gifts are necessary. Uh, just looking at this Lenten luncheon today, if we had only somebody who could talk, that would be me for today, but we didn't have anybody that had the gift of service, like Jean was saying, who delights to come in and put together all this food set up it brings him joy to do that, and he's wonderfully good at it, and it blesses us. But we need each other, because if you had just the lunch but no program, it wouldn't be the same thing, or the program with no lunch. And that's just a small example. But in the body of Christ, all of us need one another to work together so all of these gifts can be manifest. And when that happens, one of the things that should result from that is choosing to love one another. That we can stand back just in the same way that we look at the human body 
with awe and wonder at what God has made, we can sit back and we can look at the people that God has put into our body here at St. Philip's and in the church in general and rejoice with wonder at the gifts that God has given others. But again, this requires getting our eyes off of ourselves. One of the things that's really important in understanding what the body of Christ means is that it's not all about me. That's hard in our culture because our culture tells us we're the center of the universe. But Jesus and the scriptures show us a radically other-centered view of what it means to follow Christ. So this next verse from Romans, Romans 12 is a great chapter on the body of Christ, but I didn't want to read you the whole thing since I just read you all of 1 Corinthians 12. So we're just getting a snippet. So, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what Paul is telling us in Romans is that same thing as in Corinthians, that we don't all have the same function. And thanks be to God for that. Sometimes we're really comfortable with people that are just like us, and it's a little uncomfortable with people who are not like us. But the fact of the matter is we need each other, and we are so much stronger together when we begin to appreciate the diversity of gifts that God has given us. And then the Ephesians passage talks about the fact that we're not a body that's just static. We're a body that should, just like a human body, exercise and train so that it can get better at what it does. And part of our training in the body of Christ is to learn what it means to love one another. And that 1 Corinthians 13 passage that we just started with uh, really undoes our cultural idea of love as a feeling. Because all of the things it describes, love is patient, love is kind, love does not seek its own way, all of those things, those are actions. Jesus can't command us to have a feeling, but he can command action. And so part of the idea is that we need to learn to love one another so we can encourage one another to bring out these gifts. And part of the key of that is in this first phrase from Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. Many of us are good at speaking the truth. We can tell the truth about something. However, there is a difference between speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. And one of my favorite examples of this came from my great aunt, who many of you have heard me talk about, who was kind of the matriarch of our family. And she was a very proper and brilliant lady. But in her elder years, sometimes she said out loud things that she was speaking without realizing, things she was speaking, thinking, without realizing it. And sometimes that would be very embarrassing. And I remember a dinner that we were at with one of my cousins who was uh, quite portly, shall we say, and he went back for a second piece of cake. And my great aunt said, Jim, 
you are as big as the side of a house and you are digging your grave with your teeth. <laughs> well, objectively, she might have been right about that. That might have been the truth, but it was certainly not in love. So we have to be careful. The other thing is sometimes we are so loving that we don't want to speak the truth. Sometimes somebody we know may be caught up in something that's really damaging or harmful to them, and we just want to love them and not ever confront the problem. So learning to speak the truth in love is a mark of spiritual maturity. And notice that that is what helps us to grow up into Jesus who is the head. Just as an aside, one of the things that we struggle with in our culture and in our church is whose authority are we under? That's playing itself out in so many different areas from the Episcopal Church lawsuit to what goes on in our culture. But the idea here is Jesus is the head and Jesus' word is the authority. And we are under that authority, building one another up as the body of Christ under that authority. And when you take away the head or take away the word of God, you have a body that is out of control and is doomed to death. So I want to talk a little bit about how fellowship is a concept that's deeply related to this idea of being the body of Christ. The body of Christ is a unique bond. Not everybody is part of the body of Christ. Just as Jeff has said many times, it's so important that we distinguish between the fact that everyone is made in the image of God, even though that image is marred by sin, but not everyone is a child of God. People who are children of God are those described in the first chapter of John's Gospel who are born not of the flesh or of the will of a husband, but born of God. And those who are in relationship with Jesus Christ are part of the body of Christ. And we have a unique bond that is a given from the Spirit, but it's something that we have to learn to live into, that we have to seek out because it is counter to what is in our culture that says we need to be self-sufficient. I still like to talk about the Lone Ranger. Some of y'all are too young to know who the Lone Ranger is. If you don't know who the Lone Ranger is, go home and Google the Lone Ranger. But uh, those... <laughs> but the problem for so many of us is we think we're the Lone Ranger. We don't even like the idea of having Tonto along. We think we're the Lone Ranger and it's me and maybe Tonto, against the world, and we don't need anybody else. And that is absolutely contrary and unimaginable to the New Testament idea of what it means to be the body of Christ. And this word koinonia, which is usually translated fellowship or community, is the one that describes this unique bond, which is how we live out our identity in the body of Christ. So, uh, we are talking a lot about this Acts passage uh, at St. Philip's, and the reason for that is it really describes what the church is to be, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And as I've said before, devoted is a big, strong, uh, what used to be called a $10 word, I guess we'd have to call it a million-dollar word today, 
Um, it means devoted. It doesn't mean dabbling in or slightly interested in or paying attention when it's convenient. It means making it the focus of your life. So that is a distinguishing mark of Christians who are under the headship of Christ as they are devoted to these things, and fellowship is one of them. And then as Paul says in Philippians, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ in his body, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. This idea of unity in the body, not being characterized by complaining, but being characterized by building one another up, encouraging one another. And then from 1 John, uh, this is so important about how our unity uh, exists in the spiritual realm. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And just a little parenthesis here. The Trinity is the perfect model of fellowship. It is the perfect model of that spiritual unity. And we, as the body of Christ, when we come into relationship with Jesus, and we begin to live out that body of Christ bondedness and koinonia, we participate in the fellowship of the Father and the Son. It is a glorious thing. Um, we are literally drawn up into the heavenlies. So our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. And part of what's important about that is that our individual spiritual lives, the degree to which each one of us is sold out to following Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit and invested in his word, that affects our whole body. It's kind of like that old UK show, The Weakest Link, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that. It's sort of the model for a lot of these reality shows like Survivor and other things where people get voted off. But the idea is that in that context, the weakest link gets lopped off and thrown away. In the Christian body, the weakest link should be surrounded with love and encouragement to bring that person along. But part of the way that we encourage one another is by being in good shape ourselves. It's just the same thing as if you were on a track team in high school. A track team has individuals that compete, but the team is the one that gets the score. And if you've got one person who's really great, but all the rest of the people don't ever train or do anything, the team is never gonna get anywhere. So part of our responsibility as members of the body of Christ is to be trying to grow to grow into that head, to grow into fellowship with one another, that we might have our whole body grow and become more beautiful and exude more and more of the fragrance of Christ. So a few other things about fellowship that are important. It's easy for us, particularly in the South, and I talked about this in Adult Forum a couple of weeks ago, we get friendship and fellowship confused or maybe even hanging out and fellowship confused. 
It's sort of the same idea that if you sit all day in a garage, you become a car. Um, that doesn't really work. So just hanging out is not necessarily fellowship. Um, it could be in some circumstances, but fellowship at its core is a shared relationship with Jesus Christ that creates an eternal bond between and among believers that's not based on common interest, gender, age, education, race, or other externals, but it's based in the shared relationship we have with Christ. It is the deepest unity you can have with another human being. But you don't necessarily experience that unless you pray into it and enter into it. So that whole idea of intentionality, of trying to live into fellowship under the direction of the Spirit is important. Um, Southerners are famous for gathering together around fried chicken in the fellowship hall, and that's a great thing. I love my fried chicken, uh, and I love being with people, but that's not necessarily fellowship. It's being together, and that's a good thing. Being together is good, but fellowship is when it's part of our unique kingdom identity. The Knights of Pythias have fried chicken dinners, but that's not the same thing as Christian fellowship. Bridge Club fried chicken luncheon is not the same thing as Christian fellowship. So fellowship comes from seeking Christ together, seeking his will, seeking to glorify him, and then bearing one another's burdens. That passage from Acts about being devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, is followed by an amazing statement that says that no one in the body had any needs because they all worked together to meet the needs of the body. And that is that kind of burden bearing that's being talked about, whether it's physical needs, material needs, spiritual or emotional needs, we are called to bear one another's burdens. And just to reinforce that a little bit, the idea of fellowship is that it's proactive and distinctively Christian. It is rooted in our common faith in Jesus Christ. You can't have Christian fellowship with someone who isn't a Christian. Um, they're not part of the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that you don't love them or respect them or care for them or serve them, but they just don't have that same bond. There's this focus of devotion on the things of the kingdom. There's also a focus on encouragement. Um, there's a great word for encouragement in Greek that's oikodemeo, and it's this idea of literally building up, which goes very well with our living stones idea of the church, that we are literally building one another up so that we can be a strong fortress. But the flip side of that is it is much easier to tear down than it is to build up. And there's a lot of research from the psychological field that will tell you uh, for every one derogatory, nasty cut that someone makes, it takes about eight encouragements just to get you back to even. And encouragement is a word that is all through the New Testament. Um, Barnabas, who those of you who've been coming to the Acts study have heard Jeff talk about, his name literally means son of encouragement. And you see this in the New Testament as something hugely important. And we need encouragement. We live in a world that's running a thousand miles per hour away from the truth of the kingdom. And we need one another to encourage one another. The world is not going to encourage us in our faith. 
Sitting at home and watching Netflix is not going to encourage us in our faith. We need one another to do that. Others in whom Christ dwells to speak that word of truth and encouragement into our life. There are so many stories of people who went on to become great Christian leaders that transformed the world for Jesus Christ. And behind those people, there invariably are two or three people you've never heard of who encouraged them to use their gifts to step out in faith and to risk something for Jesus Christ. And if they had not had those words of encouragement, who knows whether we would ever have had Billy Graham, for example. One of the things we've been talking about in C.S. Lewis class is that C.S. Lewis said he would never have written the Chronicles of Narnia if J.R.R. Tolkien had not encouraged him to do so. Tolkien has said he would never have written The Lord of the Rings without Lewis's encouragement. And indeed, Lewis said he would never have become a Christian without Tolkien's investment in his life. So this encouragement is huge. Bearing one another's burdens is huge. And part of the problem with that is that, again, we are polite Charlestonians. If someone says, how are you? I'm just fine, thank you. How are you? While inside the tape is playing, my dog died. I'm having a terrible time with my mother-in-law. My flood insurance claim is still being processed. We don't share those things. And I'm not saying that at every moment when you see someone, you just <laughs> pour out every single thing that is on your heart. But when you are in the right context, it's important to be vulnerable and to share your needs so that those who are in the body of Christ with you can pray for you. That is what we are meant to do. And part of the problem, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is that we don't have, some of us, those contexts where that's appropriate. We don't make the time to pray with someone else. It's kind of scary to ask someone else, could I pray with you? That's a little out of the box. But those are important times. And we've created a space in our Wednesday service where there is some prayer ministry, and Mark and Frenchie Records, Richards and Juanita Orvin and some other people are working on developing our prayer ministry here so that there is a way that you come and share those burdens if you don't have another context for that. And then the other is focus on seeking after Christ and sharing his love with others. This whole thing about building up the body is not just so we can look in the mirror and say, boy, don't we look good. The point of building up the body is so that the body can serve. We live in a world that is dying, literally dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have the answer to so much of what ails our world. But if we stay in a holy huddle, we will never get there. And we need to encourage one another to be able to get outside that. That's what the body of Christ is for. I want to just commend a little book plug here for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've not heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I would encourage you to learn about him. German pastor during World War II, uh, started off uh, in the era when Hitler was coming to power. He became a founding member of the Confessing Church, the one that was trying to stand up to Hitler. He was imprisoned and uh, put into a concentration camp. 
He founded an underground seminary and they were under intense persecution. And Bonhoeffer was a very, very gifted, thoughtful writer, just deeply imbued with scriptural truth. And he wrote a book about his time of intense Christian fellowship while under persecution, which is called Life Together. And it is fantastic. There's another really good book, the one that's on the left, Eric Metaxas's biography of Bonhoeffer reads like a thriller. It's hard to believe it's actually someone's life. Uh, but I commend that to you as well. But life together, if you want to think more about what it means to be the body of Christ, it is one of the best books out there. And it's something not to read just in one sitting, but to read a little bit and chew on, because it's challenging. And I want to just share a little bit of it. What determines our brotherhood is what that man is by reason of Christ. Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. This is true not merely at the beginning, as though in the course of time something else were to be added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others, and community here is that koinonia word um, for the body of Christ. I have community with others and shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another wholly for eternity. And I cannot emphasize this enough. The more that you draw close to Jesus Christ, you will draw closer to those who belong to him. It's like that triangle. If you're on sides of the triangle, the closer you move to the apex, the more that you are growing closer to one another and to that head, Jesus. So this idea of this unique treasure that we have is so important. Uh, the next little thing I think is also very important. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let he, him who is not in community beware of being alone. We need this balance, the same balance that you see in Jesus' life. Jesus pouring himself out for his apostles and for the world day after day in his earthly ministry, but withdrawing for these times of quiet to commune with his Father. And we need both of those. We need to be the body of Christ, which means taking care of ourselves individually in the same way that you take care of different parts of your body, but realizing that we can't isolate from one another as well. And then lastly, if there's so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. And again, we take for granted our ability to come together and be with other Christians, but Bonhoeffer learned that was a gift, that that was a treasure, that that was a privilege, because under Nazi Germany, you couldn't do that. And so this privilege that we have, when you have something that you just take for granted, very often you don't live into it in the same way when you think it might be taken from you. So I encourage you to think about how much commitment to this body of Christ is evident in your life. I couldn't do this without putting a little Lord of the Rings reference in there. 
Um, one of the reasons for that is that Tolkien wrote The Fellowship of the Ring trying to get across a spiritual truth about the body of Christ. And in that, you see, and you can see in this profile, these are very different looking creatures here, um, not counting the horse. Um, but you see people of all shapes and sizes, races, backgrounds, and they have all come together because they're united in this quest to destroy sin and evil represented by this ring. It's very much a metaphor for the body of Christ. As we unite in this quest of following Jesus, our differences fade in importance. But the other thing is each one of those people has a very different gifting. And the way Tolkien weaves the story, if any one of them had been left out of the fellowship, they would not have been able to accomplish the quest. So some ideas about strengthening our identity in the body of Christ. Spend time praying with Christian friends. Somebody has to take the initiative to do that, uh, but I would encourage you to do that. It will be a blessing to you. Having a prayer partner is another thing. Somebody you talk to once a week and share prayer requests, something you're thankful for, something you need prayer for, something you're struggling with. Serve in a ministry together. There are so many opportunities in Charleston, whether with Water Mission or Tri-County Family Ministries, um, or supporting some of our foreign missions, or things within this church, being a greeter or an usher, or the altar guild or the flower guild, so, so many things, where if you do that with someone else, um, it is a way of building your fellowship. Another thing is to proactively search for opportunities to serve others. This is a great way to get your eyes off of yourself. It's also a great way, if you have a tendency to want to complain about something, to choose to be the solution rather than the complainer. To say, I would love to help with this. How can I be invested in that? And do it with another person. Take the initiative to be together. Practice hospitality. Call up people that you know in our church body and do something with them. Take the initiative to do that. Foyers are a way to help that, and uh, we're hearing a lot of great feedback from those. Um, I commend those to you. If you're not in one, next time around, sign up. Um, another thing that can be so important is learn to ask good questions. One of the downsides of iPhones is that we are losing the art of conversation. And part of the art of conversation is learning how to go deeper in a relationship. And that means asking questions like, how can I be praying for you? What is something you believe God is teaching you? When did you feel closest to God this week? What is something you're struggling with spiritually? What brought you joy spiritually this week? Another thing is to incorporate scripture into your relationships. Uh, a great thing about a phone is that you can uh, text scripture to people just randomly for no reason, and it will be an encouragement to them. Um, some of you know that Foley Beach, who's the Acknow Archbishop, is an old, old friend of mine, and he just every now and then randomly will shoot me a Bible verse or something saying, I'm praying for you today. I got one of those this morning. And it was just a great blessing to get that. We forget the power of something that only takes five seconds to do. Another thing that is really important that can help us, the part of loving God with our minds, read a good Christian book with somebody else and then talk about it together. 
another thing that is a, a great thing to do is to mentor a younger Christian. Scripture is very clear that older men have a responsibility to pour their faith into younger men, older women to pour their faith into younger women. We have a young generation that needs people that have been walking with the Lord to pour into them. Worship together, whether it's in church, whether it's in the car with a worship song on the radio that you're singing together, whatever it might be, worship points us toward Jesus together and it builds our fellowship. So in closing, this beautiful Psalm 133 verse, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren and sistren uh, dwell together in unity. It is a beautiful thing. And I want to, if I can get the technology to work, I want to close with a video of a hymn from something called The Big Sing in Royal Albert Hall in London. And there are 5,000 people gathered in Royal Albert Hall for this occasion. And uh, if I can get it to work. We had all sorts of technological difficulties this morning, so we'll see if this happens. But um, one of the things that is great about this is it gives you a visual of the body of Christ worshiping together, people of all ages, there are a lot of different races, um, and they are all focused um, together. So we will, hold on, that's not the right one. All right, well, it's not really wanting to load, so we will uh, skip that. But if you uh, want to try it at home, uh, it's called The Big Sing. And if you Google The Big Sing and For All the Saints, um, you will get uh, what I was trying to show you there. And the thing that's beautiful about it is that it also repeats the words in the text as you watch the video, and it reminds us that all of us following Christ are saints. That's the definition of a saint. And that one day, we are all going to be get together in that glorious kingdom, the church triumphant, the church militant, all of us together, and we are going to be singing and worshiping God together in a way that is absolutely glorious. And this video gives you just a little foretaste of that. So let me go ahead and close this with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, your body here on this earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us in our hearts and our minds and our souls to deeply understand what a privilege it is to be part of that body. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it means to love one another in this body here, speaking the truth in love, building one another up, encouraging one another, being devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers, being devoted to serving your hurting world together. 
And Lord, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on us, that you would unite us in following you as one body, that you being our head might be the image to which we all grow into. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this time today and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.